All right, I'm going to warn you from the very beginning that this is a long podcast episode. You may have already looked at the timestamp and thought, whoa, what happened? Did they forget to press the stop button? And the answer is no, we didn't. In fact, we just couldn't do it. While we were having this conversation, it just kept going. And it actually, we kind of forgot the mics were there and we just kind of had a normal conversation, became friends over the podcast. Uh, In this conversation, we talked with Ryan and his wife, Lindsay Gentles, and they have an incredible story of life after ministry. And I never thought that the guy who wrote the book, Did Jesus Wear Undies, would have so much to speak to in my life and really the lives of so many others. So, If that's not an intro, then I don't know what else you're looking for. Listen to this podcast episode. Listen to the whole thing. There is some great wisdom, and I hope that you are as blessed by Ryan and Lindsay and their story as we were. All right, well, welcome to the Life After Ministry podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm here with... Marilee. There you go. Um, And we are here with Ryan and Lindsay Gentles. You guys want to say hi? Hello. How y'all doing? There you. Now you said y'all, so yeah. that gives us an indicator of where are you in the world? Yes, we are just north of Houston, Texas, in uh, the woodlands. So, yeah, good, love it. So, you guys are here because you are living life after ministry. Yes. Um, so we want to dive into your story, uh, Lindsay. We interacted. Uh, you interacted with. Pastoral Transitions at the American Association of Christian Counselors. So we'll get to hear a little bit of that story as well. But uh, y'all were in ministry. Um, mm. What was that like? Yeah, it was it was good. Uh, you know, she met me as a uh, high money making youth pastor. <laughs> you know, uh, back in the day, and the um, money always draws them in, doesn't I know. it? It was we. It was just like, hey, you know what? I I, I get uh, all the free pizza I want on Wednesday night. So. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we did student ministry and then uh, kind of college, young adults, and uh, and did that vocationally for a long, long time. Started in 2006 full time, um, and uh, and then we got married in 2008. So um, up until 2017, I was doing full time as a married man. So yeah. So, so was- Lindsay, you knew going into it that he was already in ministry. So. There's, yes. uh, you, you went in with eyes wide open, yeah? Yeah. Yes. And I was, I was also doing like a, was it parachurch ministry mm-hmm. um, with students as well at the high school age. So it was a pretty like easy shift. Mm-hmm. I, w- I was sad to give up what I was doing, but, yeah. you know. I'm- she was going to another church and mm-hmm. I actually, I met her at the singles ministry for that church because mine didn't really have a ministry going for that and. So I got invited to go and I was like, I need to meet some guys my age because I'm just hanging out with high school guys mm-hmm. and then met her in January and we got married in November. So same year. <laughs> nice. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, you were in ministry. What was the initiating factor that pulled you out of ministry? Budget. Um, I, I was unfortunately part of a, a large budget cut at the church that involved um, probably around eight or nine folks on staff. And um, we, we, we kind of, we knew it was, it was coming and we just didn't know what exactly it looked like. Um, We didn't know that it necessarily was going to be just chunk of people gone. 
maybe it was going to be decrease in pay and all this stuff. But, but I got word, uh, I, I was actually blessed in a sense of the lead in time that I had to process it mentally. Um, I'd say it was probably January or February of that year that I was, I was asked by three separate people above me, what do you see yourself doing in five years? Uh, and so that the third time I heard that question was, uh, is that you Lord? <laughs> yeah, like, I'll answer that, but let's have a talk, talk in your office right now. Um, and that, that's when I found out I was, I was currently on the list and, uh, not, not because any, I wasn't doing good at my job. I was doing great. I was actually helping kind of form some, some new things. Um, but I was, I was told that, uh, I was one of the most hireable, so they didn't feel, they felt like they could put me on the list to be let go. Um, so you can imagine how I took that information. Um, You're so yeah, good that we're going to let you go. Yes. Yeah. It, it was, I had to have them repeat it. I'm like, say that again. I want you to write that down and say it again, you know? So that kind of started the process actually that year of 2017. And I started sending out my resume. I was like, all right, well, I'm on the list. I don't know what's going to happen. Sending out resume. I'm talking to folks and doing all this. And, and I, I got down the line on a, a, a discipleship pastor role. And um, they had gotten to a point to where they even talked to my pastor for reference. And they had told him, hey, we're going to hire him. And... I'd been just feeling this angst about things um, and woke up one morning, prayed through it. And it was very clear that God said uh, no um, to take your name out of the hat and not only to no to this job, but no to a church job, no to vocational ministry. Uh, okay. So wait, I have, I have questions. You yeah. ready? Um, one is what, what did your church do well in that conversation of letting this group of eight or nine people, Hey, there's a change. There's financial change. Um, yeah. We're letting a group of you go to everyone in a room. Like what, what went well, what, like for people who are in that position listening in. Um, or, or did anything go well? Oh yeah, maybe <laughs> not. So it, it was all, it was all individually based. Um, okay. So they, they pulled, everybody into the office and talked with them individually, individually and, and didn't let the rest of the staff know who was on that list. I think simply put, we have a it, hard time finding things that I they think, did well. I think financially, so timeline to get, this was May of that year that everyone was made known if you were going to be let go. And they, paid us through the end of August when the budget rolled over. So like maybe that was, that was, that, that was, was kind. That's probably right there. The sole thing that that's the, the positive in that the rest of it was, you know, I, I'm there. There's never going to be an agreement of on my side who should have been on the list or anything like that. And and that's neither sure. here nor there. Obviously I don't think my name should have been on the list, but, uh, <laughs> but God used it. I, I don't either. I don't in amazing either. ways. So, um, so yeah, that I would say that would be the, the positive in that it was like, it wasn't just, Hey, you got two weeks. It's like, no, you, 
we got you through August. Even even if you leave for another job, we're still going to pay you through August. Yeah, that's um, pretty good. The, the the negative end of that was like, don't tell anybody. So there were some. You could tell your family. Yeah, maybe. And we're not going to tell anybody either. Right. And that was really hard because it was never something that the church as a whole knew. Um, there was, they did, and I think it was hard for us. They did a little thing for the, at a staff meeting, they asked me to come in with our girls and they made it like a celebration send off because he was going to press into, we had kind of a side business working, um, with like, it's now called body, but like, like beach body. We, and he was going to push more yeah. into that. And so they tried to like, turn it into more of a like celebratory. Yeah. Here's what's going to happen. And that was very and, and that, frustrating. That came in, in all, all of the, as I call it, the signing of the papers. Um, ironically enough happened the same week that I was originally hired back in 2006. And so like that week for me is like this bittersweet, like, Oh, awesome memories here. And then, Oh, terrible memory here. And my plan, it was basically like, like I said, Hey, we're going to pay you through here. You find another job. Great. Awesome. Um, we'd love for you to work throughout this time, but it wasn't a requirement to, to stay on. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I, I wanted to end well because of, the decade there, you know, at this point I'm doing college and young adults. So a majority of those people that I'm serving alongside and ministering to, I had as students. And so I've, I've spent the last decade with these, these people. And I can remember the next two days, I think it was, I just go into the office and just get mad. If I saw any decision made in regards to money, I'm like, Nope, no, that's, that's stupid. You know, like, all, and so I just, lens is like, we just, you can't do this. This is not healthy for you. We have to figure something out. So wisdom from, from her led me to then just say, all right, I'm going to give them two weeks and just be done working. I'm just, I, what do you guys, what, what do you think about like, I, and this is what I hear from a lot of people coming out is we try to end well. Um, we want to, and, and what that means is we keep our mouth shut. Um, we don't say a lot because um, we're trying to keep the peace. Yeah. Um, and I'm even just curious, Lindsay, from because you are a therapist. I, I'm just curious. I was talking to a therapist yesterday who said that all counseling is grief counseling. Um, mm. That there is something about unmet expectations that we have to somehow overcome, but we don't really grieve very well in the church. One of our uh, last podcasts, yeah. we talked about that a little bit, but. Um, what, hmm. how, how do we do that? And like, be true to like what Ryan's trying to end well, but internally that doesn't totally line up with how he's really feeling. And yeah. uh, is there, is there a way to kind of bring those two worlds together? I don't know if the, I, I don't know what the, the best answer is. It's one of those, like, I feel like I was so emotionally involved in that. It's hard to step back and give a, um, like clinical answer to that. Um, uh, but I, it, it felt like they tried to remove emotion from 
the experience. And that's just not possible, right? Um, Because church was his job, but it was also our family. And so it was deeper than I think a lot of um, other type of jobs where like these were, this is, this was the people that we were around all the time. This was, and um, even like our small group, like we shifted away from that. And so in a lot of ways we felt just very isolated and like we weren't allowed to, to grieve and have emotion around it. I, so I don't know exactly what the answer is other than discuss it, mm-hmm. have the emotional conversations of how hurt it was. I think one of the frustrating things was when he would say that, like when he would talk to one of the other pastors on staff that was kind of in making the decision, like he would talk about how difficult of a decision it was. And I was, it, that just felt like, like he understood yeah. type of, and I was, like he was hurting too. Yeah. Like, and I was, okay. So <laughs> I think those type of things to, to just bring light to, um, that there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in it to give space for that, to allow some anger. And I think we had a lot of really great conversations post that. And mm-hmm. he came back, I don't know how, maybe six months later and was able to have the conversation um, with several of the pastors of the hurt that was there. Yeah. Um, so I was super proud of him for that because I think there was a lot of healing um, in that grief process that was done through that conversation. And it probably wouldn't have been healthy to have that conversation on day zero. Yeah. My, my bar was really low as far as like ending well, like as long as I didn't Jerry Maguire it out the door, I think I was doing okay. You know, like I'm just going to go, you know, grab my stuff and go. Yeah. Isn't that, that's ending- so funny. I, I'm thinking about the Jerry Maguire scene. Like, cause I think that that's what, Everybody really wants, like, even yeah, just outside I, of the I church. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> yeah, you just like, who's coming with me? And like, yeah. you walk out. But that's, uh, yeah. And again, it, that that is not consistent with this concept of finishing well. Yeah. Um, and so that that yeah. that makes it really really hard. And I think finishing well partially for us, we were just like, how do you leave and not hate the church? Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's where we were with like, it's time for you to go because there's just bitterness building in you yeah. and that's not okay. So I think the finishing well was like a, um, for our family, for him personally, like how do you leave and grieve and not allow bitterness to, to yeah. win out, to lead in this, yeah. um, situation. I mean, according to the, the papers, um, I could have just not shown up to work and been paid. Like, I didn't have to say anything, but I have a wise wife that was like, no, let's let's close the door ourselves. It was tough. And, and on top of that, with me not taking that job and knowing that whatever was coming next was not what I had known at all as an adult, because as an adult, I'd only been a church staff member, never just a church member. Came out of college and started seminary and then started that job. Like that's, and that's mm-hmm. what I was doing. And, and so I was, when, 
when I was told what, like, why didn't you take that job? You know, you're a churchman. I thought to myself, I I don't even know what that means, but I don't like it. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, I'm glad like, you said I'm that because I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just following what I believe the Lord is calling me to do, even though I don't know what it is. He's just saying this direction, not this one. Lindsay, you had said something a while back about how uh, Ryan's transition out of ministry really impacted your whole family. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more to that. Just, um, you know, I think in pastoral transitions, one of the things that we're trying to bring awareness to is just that this doesn't just impact, you know, the man losing his job and all that stuff, but it really, because it's ministry profoundly, in fact, impacts everyone. So I was wondering what, if you could speak to a little bit of what your experience was and how that was for you and the kids. Yeah. Well, I I think we first realized how much ministry jobs impacted the whole family when we, before kids moved for a job for him. And Mm -hmm. just in conversation with others, we talked about um, how when you move for a ministry job, like that there's your, his job, but it's also your church that you have to like try to make your people, right? Whether there's great connection there or not. Um, and so that, that revelation I think happened a couple of years before, but then when moving into him losing his job, um, that was our small group made up of mainly at that time, people who were in like our same stage of life. So they were our small group, but they were also, our friends, they were our kids' friends. They were where our two kids were going. That's where they were going to school at the time, um, just like Mother's Day out. And so it wasn't just a, hey, you're not going to go to work there anymore. But it's like, mm-hmm. we're also not going to go there on Sundays anymore. We're not going to take you there on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're also not going to go back to our friend's house on Tuesday nights when we do, you know, Bible study. And, mm-hmm. and so it, it, changed. It was like all of that stopped at the same time. And so we just kind of sat, um, Mm -hmm. and you know, you mentioned the word grief several times and, and we had to grieve all of those things, I would say separately as they showed up, Mm -hmm. um, during the week. And it was like, well, we're not going there. What, what do we do instead? And, um, who are our people now? I was going to say, is it, was there a weird dynamic that you guys weren't supposed to talk about it? Like, did that include, you really weren't supposed to talk about it with your small group and your community? Yeah. Like, Yes. And I would say there were, there were a few people that probably knew a little more. Um, yeah. it, it was just a strange season as well, because some of the families, I broke the rule a little bit. Um, <laughs> some of the families though had just shifted yeah. out. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the families that we were close to had just moved to plant um, somewhere else in the country. And mm-hmm. so that also like they would have probably been a family who would have really come alongside, um, but they were now gone. So um, yeah. I, I think there was so much uncertainty as to how to handle it, even amongst like, our friends who were, cause a lot of them were also still like staff people. Mm-hmm. And so right. it, it just got yeah. really tricky. Um, I think just navigating through that season. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so in that, like trying to shield the girls, I had talked a little bit earlier about um, their ages were two and three. We wanted them to, to know Jesus and, and love the Lord and love the church. And, um, and so, but at two and three, you know, they're very black and white thinkers. And so if, if mommy and daddy are emotional about this, or they say that they are hurt, then, then that has to mean that the church is bad. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's thankfully not the way that it works. Um, but at that age, that's what makes sense in their little minds. Mm-hmm. And so how do we be open with them about, hey, we're not going back there. We probably won't. And because they'd be like, well, what about next week? And yeah. We probably won't go back there for a really long time. Yeah. Um, and so, but we're going to find something else. We're going to find a new church. We're yeah. going to. Um, and so we spent some weeks just at home for a little bit. And mm-hmm. then we started trying new churches. Yeah. Um, but I think the challenging season that we're in now is they're starting to get older. We don't want to hide them and shield them from what we have experienced. Um, Cause we want them to know again, the church is made up of people. Yeah. People are sinful. People mess up. Um, and so we don't want to totally shield them from it, but how do we kind of reflect back on what we experienced and let them know this was a season that was really hard and mm-hmm. people didn't do everything right. And maybe we didn't even do everything right in that yeah. season, but the church is still good and we're still called to it. Yeah, uh, Ryan, I, I imagine that there's a sense of security. Like it, I think of the trapeze artist that goes from one trapeze to the next. And the second that there's some hope on the horizon of this discipleship pastor position it's like, all right, we're going to land. We're going to be okay. We're going to yeah. make it. I'm still in ministry. My identity is intact and yeah. this is good. <laughs> and you were the one. It's not like, because I, I went through a process of like, I had a job that I thought was going to be really great and I didn't get it. And the before and after on that piece was really, really hard. Um, but yeah. you chose not to step into that. Um, so you're kind of, you let go of a trapeze and yeah. there was nothing but net underneath you. If yeah. there's even a net, what is that? What is that process like? Yeah, what did that I, feel like? Yeah, I had no net. Um, I, so I didn't know how far we were going to fall. It was, um, I, I, I think that, um, I think our relationship was, was and is in such a place that like the trust level that she has with me in making decisions like that really helped enable me to do that because when I had to come and say, I don't know what's next, um, but it's not this. And I think it has nothing to do with church work. She was like, okay, let's, let's figure it out. And thankfully then we started that process where I wasn't in office anymore. And so I was interviewing, sending out, you know, all these different sales positions, you know, my grandma was like, well, well, you've been selling Jesus for years. You could sell anything, right? Uh, It's like, sure, let's try that. And if you've ever led the offering at at the church, you could sell something, right? Right. And so, you know, I had all these things come up and I had talked to a friend uh, of mine who's a contractor uh, early on in the process. He, he knew uh, before anybody else, because I was like, well, I just, I just felt this, you know, like I need to tell him and see if he's got any work because 
we had done construction stuff together in the past. I had taken him on mission trips and stuff uh, where we'd done that. Um, and we were really close to his family. And he's like, man, I don't have anything for you. I, you know, I wish I could help. Um, and then that whole summer, nothing like closed door, closed door interview here. Friends are, I mean, I had several friends who, who made some calls to get me interviews at places. And then, you know, they look at my resume and it's like, okay, well, you've worked for a church. Um, you have a master's in theology. How does that translate here? You know? And it's like, yeah, yeah. Jesus is uh, a I carpenter. Mean, yeah. It's <laughs> a great question. You know, um, I was hoping you could tell me, you know? So, so yeah, it, it was, uh, it was, it was scary. I, I had, like she said, it, it was several months down the road after I started in construction that I truly processed it. I think God allowed me to just hit the ground running, trying to find what was next in that. Um, but And so I, I didn't properly walk through it emotionally and everything else of, of oh my goodness, this is, this is big and huge and, and, and scary. So coming to August, when my last paycheck is coming, I had an amazing blessing that like the week my last paycheck was coming, my dad calls and he's like, I know and my, my parents are believers. And, you know, for them, when I told my dad that I turned down a job when I um, <laughs> didn't have one in the future, he was like, OK, what are you going to do? You know, and, and he I mean, he was great. He'd be sending me job postings, all this stuff. Right. Well, he calls and he's like, I don't want you to jump into something that it's not what God wants you to do. So we're going to pay your mortgage until you find it. And I'm like, okay. You know, <laughs> um, did not see that coming. Well, if you know anything about Houston in 2017, we had this awesome storm called Harvey. <clears throat> and uh, Her- Hurricane Harvey hit that weekend, like two days after my dad calls and a day after my last paycheck, basically. And then my friend whose contractor calls that weekend, he's like, Hey, you still need a job because I think I'm going to be busy. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I do need a job. Um, what do you need? And so I started working for him and I did all these bids and managed the Harvey houses and all this stuff for the next while. And God just, so your question when we were chatting earlier about like what, what put me into construction? Well, that, I mean, Mm -hmm. it was just like, this absolute need. And then in the midst of a massive storm in Houston, God places a pastor in the homes of 12 different mm-hmm. families who it's one thing if you're remodeling a home you and, you, and you choose to, and you're planning to, but if you're remodeling a home because you had six, eight feet of water in it and your world's upside down and your kids are displayed, you know, all this stuff, like, I did quite a bit of marriage counseling in the midst of a bare living room with folks as they were walking through trying to make decisions and trying to do this. And like, just like God used that time for me to kind of still utilize the gifts that I had and hone in on new ones in construction and all that. So, um, so it was a much needed position which then led whenever those were done and, and he didn't have any work for me to do, then I had to find out what was next after that. Um, and so then all of a sudden I find myself 
a year and a half later being let go from another job that wasn't ministry. <laughs> it's like, call her. I'm like, next week's my next paycheck. By the way, I know it's Thanksgiving and all, and we just had our third child. Um, <laughs> and again, call my dad, tell him, hey, this is what's happening. He says, let's start our own company. This, you got connections. Um, let's flip some houses. Okay. So we started Bethel Construction. <laughs> and uh, we've been doing that since uh, Thanksgiving of 2018. And and it's been uh, a whirlwind of emotions in the midst of that. But um, like she said, I, I was prior to kind of all of that, I was able to actually process with those those men at the church. It was, I mean, it was probably about that time, huh? Um, I came downstairs one night. Mm. <laughs> I'd been up here. Well, it wasn't this room, but, um, and I walked downstairs and Lynn said something to me and I, I don't even know how I responded. Well, however I responded was not good. <laughs> um, I went into the bathroom and she follows me in and she's like, what was that? And I'm just like, Boom. And I just lost it. I just like grabbed her and lost it. And she's like, what is going on? And I had been sitting up in my office for like the last hour staring at my papers that I'd kept that said, you no longer have a job. And I was just like, man, this hurts so bad. So (laughs) we sat there and just, cried and I was like this was so long ago like why am I why am I feeling this now and she's like you haven't felt it yet <laughs> you know like you've let it dam up you know and so I think it was the following week we we're at church and um, we'd found a a good church to kind of heal in and uh, was far enough away that you know weren't people around here but it was close enough that we could get to. And um, like that next sermon was about basically uh, forgiving and walking through that whole process. Um, So I, uh, (laughs) as soon as he he said a phrase, I just look at her. I'm like, (sighs) I know what I got to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and so I, I, I sent an email to three men uh, at the church and I'm like, can we please have a meeting? And uh, they agreed and they didn't really know what it was about. I'm like, I just need to talk to y'all. And I just had to open up and I said, I haven't been fair to you in this process um, because I don't think you understand what you did and how you hurt us. And so I just voiced that. I'm like, and walk through like we're not, and I told him, I was like, we're not uh, going to agree that I should or should not have been on the list. That's not what we're talking about. And it's like, what I'm talking about is a decade of my life and you watching me go from this, this young minister to married to father and all these things. And, and, and I was just cut loose. There was, there was no one who called me. There was no one who checked on my wife. There was no one who ever did anything after the fact. It was just like, oh, 
okay, you're done. And, you know, I got responses like, well, you know, we, we thought we were good. We, we, we saw you at this wedding. We saw you, you know, we checked on you via social media and, you know, respond. I'm like, mm-hmm. what is that? Do, do you feel yeah. like, do you feel like over the course of that conversation that they heard you? Like, did you, did you walk away from that feeling heard at the end of it? Like, even if um, were they able to acknowledge that even if they did the best that they yeah. thought they could do that still, they felt short maybe, maybe not necessarily from them. from all of them, but from a from a couple of them. Um, and I just I don't disagree because I think some of them acknowledged it, but there's still even after that was never like any change. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they yeah they didn't step into a any type of caring role at that point and and maybe i didn't express it in a way and i wasn't necessarily looking at that point i don't think for them to to pastor us we had we kind of moved into you know another church community and and found that and i had had some really good conversations uh with other pastors and um and things and and walked through that but some of the response of it, you know, for them, it was, I'd say two of them, their response was, well, we had no idea that you even wanted that one. I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know why that would even be right there. But um, basic humanity. But, yeah. Human yeah, response. Like, oh, you're right. I wouldn't want to be cared for. You're right. <laughs> um, but like the the idea of like, we just oh, we didn't know that we didn't know that we had that much effect on you type of it was kind of backpedaling but then finally like one guy was <laughs> hold on we have <laughs> I just heard mommy in the background um <laughs> her movie must be over um it's all good. yeah it it was it was I didn't know what exactly I was going to to get out of it and she wasn't there at the meeting. It was just me and and these men and 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 I I gave them an intro of of what I was going to talk to them about. But it was like I said, I didn't I didn't know if it was going to be like, all right, well, how can we help you? Maybe that should have been my expectation of like from this point on, we're going to do this. Yeah, I, I I've told people, and good on you, uh, Ryan, for jumping into that conversation. Cause it's, that's not easy. It's, no. it's incredibly hard and you're, you're a good human being for doing that. And as I've talked to a couple of people about that, even that same scenario, what, what did it do for you? Like, despite the response, you have to go into that conversation, um, knowing that I'm doing this to release something in me yeah. that I'm holding on to. Did you know, so despite whatever reaction that you got from some and not from others, what did it stir or change in your heart? What did it let go um, by doing that? Because some people are in that place right now trying to figure yeah. out I, that it feels yeah. like too big of a step. And I don't think that they're going to give me what I need in that. Yeah. So going into it, I had already, I had already forgiven them for that. And so my conversation was uh, not seeking an apology. Um, and so I think mentally I was prepared for no verbal apology in that. And so afterwards, once I just kind of released that of like, I need you to know like this, this, and this, I was 
I, I can remember the next time I drove past it, I wasn't angry. I didn't feel like, I mean, it was, it, it was physically changing to me when I would drive past it. But after that meeting, I, I could do it. And I could, I, I remember starting to pray for the church then. And I didn't want to. Uh, that was one of the things that I can't remember who it was, but somebody encouraged me like, okay, now, you know, have you, have you been praying for them? And until you can, you, you aren't in the right place. Um, so that conversation took me to that place of I'm, I have forgiven them. We're walking past this and I can, I can seriously pray for God to, to move in that place like they've never seen. You know, this is, um, I mean, everything that you shared is the reason why we started pastoral transitions. Um, and we love the church, but the church needs help, um, especially yeah. in these transition spaces. Um, well, I think what we've all learned is life is full of transition, that the church is not the only place that will ever let you go. Um, right. right. Like it's, yeah. but of all the places that will ever transition you, we should be doing it the best. And so we're, we're working with churches on how do we message transition to the person? There's so many key stakeholders in that process. Like how do we talk to the person that we're going to let go? How do we talk to the remaining staff? I just had a phone call yesterday from somebody at a large nonprofit that was hiding in their office, talking very hushed to me because they said um, somebody who was here at our nonprofit, uh, who's been here for 24 years was just let go last week, and the rest of us are all scared. Um, so, how do we message that transition to everybody else who remains? Because culture, there's a culture yeah. shift now of um, we don't care for people on the way out. Um, we might do it before that. Um, how do yeah. we do that and message this to the congregation? Because sometimes, like in your situation, um, we're just not going to message it at all. We're going to pretend like it doesn't happen. It's mm-hmm. like uh, when I was in high school, everybody wanted to dine and ditch and we'd just have people leave 30 seconds apart. Yeah. Right. So they would just yeah. go and not that I'm advocating for that. Yeah. anyway. <laughs> but if we just have a slow, quiet exit and departure, then we don't have to deal with this. And so yeah. we're really trying to step into this space because I think that if, if we could do this differently, if we can do this better, um, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys five years later. And there's, yeah. there's still like it, something that surfaces that like it's it, yeah. there, there's healing for sure, but there's yeah. still parts that are a little bit raw and still hurting a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I think um, just as listening to you talk, I think a couple of things our inability to be able to process with anyone for three months um, was really tough. And I think, you know, you said the church should be doing it differently. And, and so I don't know, like, I am not a lawyer. And I think that they had a kind of a legal team that said, this is what needs to happen. But So I don't know what that could look like, but I think that's an area that has to look different for the church. If the church wants to operate differently, they have to do it differently in our ability to talk about it because it isn't just a job. It's so much more than that. And so I think there's an element of that. And then, you know, you asked before, I think that a lot of churches, at least, and I know this church in particular, they, I still have a a professional relationship with them. They still send um, people my way in the church. 
does a great job of even paying for people who aren't able to pay for counseling, right? And so if that's the case, then then that is something that they can provide for people as they leave. Um, You know, maybe it's a standard set of maybe we're allowing three months of pay. And so we'll also allow three months of counseling or we'll allow six sessions or whatever it is. But like, we know that there are emotions here and we want to provide a place for you to process them. And, and maybe there's a willingness to bring some of the staff in on appointments if, if there's benefit to that. Right. And maybe that's for the individual and the um, therapist to decide, but um, I, I think that is, those are steps in the process of, mm-hmm. Hey, we, we get that this is a big deal. Um, but we still care for you and we want to make it smoother. Yeah. I learned, I learned something about trauma a few months ago. Um, I don't remember who said it. It was a psychologist somewhere, but she was talking about, I think it was specifically in children, but her point was that terrible things can happen. Difficult situations can happen, but what actually forms the actual trauma and the damage in the brain and the psyche and all these things is actually having to go through it alone. And Mm -hmm. so, and that just stood out to me because, you know, life is full of unfortunate things happening. And I think it has implications for how we parent our kids and how we're able to come alongside them. But I think there's an implication for the church here too, that even in the process of doing something difficult, like letting a pastor go for whatever the reason is like the, the repeated theme is, man, we just felt so alone in the process. But if there was a way for the church to be able to come around and support and give infrastructure, mm-hmm. the, the lasting trauma and the effect of losing all of this, I think would just be so significantly lessened. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, and that conversation needs to happen at the moment uh, at day zero, right. Of, Hey, uh, we, we know this is hard and I, I, I joke, but it's true. It's like oftentimes the girl that broke up with you, broke your heart is not going to necessarily be the one that helps heal your heart. Sure. Right. Um, so you might need an outside party, but I think it's really good for a church to be able to say, um, while our, our working relationship is ending, um, we also don't want to leave you alone. We don't want you to feel like you're alone. So let's talk about what our engagement looks like. Um, and oftentimes yeah. a lot of this is happening through the pastor on staff. And then, like you said, Lindsay, like nobody talks to the pastor's wife and nobody's communicating. And so mama bear comes out sometimes. And so those things are hard, but I, I would tell people don't leave them alone um, and find some safe people that you can't like, you, you have to be able to do some of that. Um, and that's, yeah. We, we have to be able to, and I do think, I think you're right that it's that loneliness piece for a lot of people that the, the isolation is like we, and, and especially in ministry, you go from oodles, just an overflowing amount of community and to go from such community, so much community, creating community to absolute isolation, mm. that transition just rocks you. It's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I love the the heart of y'all's um, what y'all are doing because I think one of the things that I told him early on afterwards is like I am not going to let someone that I see walk through being let go from a church like I will Ever. make it my yeah. mission to reach out to them um, because it was so lonely and mm-hmm. it was so hard and. 
And so it, it totally changed my perspective. And even like, I think there was also this like part of me that like the only time I had really ever seen in the past, someone let go from a church was because of something that they had done, right? Some maybe infidelity or Mm -hmm. something that had happened. And and so like, because we couldn't talk about it for so long, I like, I just wanted everyone to know, like, he did nothing wrong. You know, like it it was like this protective factor of like, he's, he's good. Like, um, yeah, but especially when people find out that I'm not going to work for another church, because then it's like, then it's red flags, you know, all the questions go up. But I think it also developed so much compassion in me for like, even if they did do something wrong or whatever it was like, they still deserve like connection. Like they're still human. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I think I just have such compassion for the wives, right? Like, let's say the guy did do something like that wife is still hurting and maybe even more so because mm-hmm. they're dealing with something on top of being let go. Yeah. Um, so it just developed a whole new mindset for me of, man, there is not enough care for yeah. this transition. Yeah. And and as somebody who did do something wrong, um, that that space of people, <laughs> I, I heard so many things of what people thought I did because it wasn't like it was just public that I did do something wrong, um, but not what. And so there are you know some people are like, well, I bet he you know molested a child or you know there's all these yeah. really horrible like yeah. embezzled money. But we also have to remember that there is still a human that is behind that. And one of the, the pieces that like even in our therapy and our counseling was. You know, I had my my goodwill hunting moment, right? Where where my my therapist is looking at me. We're in an intensive, and he looks at me and he says, "Matt, you're a good man." And I said, "No, no, no, I'm not a good man." He yeah. said, "No, you're a good man." And she's sitting next to me. You are a good man. I'm like, I'm not a good man, like because yeah. the church can make you feel like you are. But we're if we could just take a step back, we're all sinners. We've all mm-hmm. we've all messed up, but we the cost is more significant um, for, for pastors, for people in ministry. And obviously like there's a higher level of accountability, um, but we, we can't, we can't deny um, that, that God loves them still. And, and, and you can feel very isolated in those moments. Yes. And we've talked about too, the message that it sends to the people in the church. If the pastor messes up or something has happened that will how does that impact people's trust and how vulnerable they feel to be able to actually be real with the areas of their life that they struggle or that they know that they're messing up in. So, yeah, Yeah. I have a, I have a feeling that we could talk to you guys for a long time. (laughs) I I was going to wrap it, but okay, go. I just, I, I, this question keeps sitting with me. So I guess my question, I think it's mostly for you, Ryan, but maybe both of you is I, my question is what did your relationship with Jesus look like? in that time when you lost your job. And it really stands out to me that he communicated clearly to you that you weren't to take the job in ministry, but he didn't really fill in the blanks of like what you were supposed to do. So there's, it brings up these questions of faith and how do we engage with God who doesn't always make the path straight in the way that we would like him to. Like what was, what was your internal spiritual relationship and conversations with God like at that time? Unfortunately, I, I think I might fall into a a, a smaller number when it comes to this of 
my relationship with Jesus was good. It was growing in that time because like I, I stepped into this, like, I don't know what's next. Okay. This, okay. God's provided. And it was just like one after another, these things. And like, and I don't know if it was partly because I wasn't like, God did not allow me to become bitter at the church, which I think was such a blessing. Um, he, he didn't let me tarnish my view of his bride. And, you know, I walked through that forgiveness with certain individuals, but I was able to separate the individuals from the church as a whole. And I think that is what probably through the guidance of the Holy Spirit just maintained my relationship with Jesus as, as growing in that time. And because, you know, we were stepping out in faith together in these things and figuring it out. And then, you know, 18 months later, the same thing happening. And it's just like, okay, what's, uh, what's next, God? Like, like you're saying, go, we're going. And I don't know where, but it's again, this direction, not that direction. So that's all I got. And I think we're in a season right now where we're kind of, I just kind of relearning some, uh, some time with Jesus because I think I got into these um, survival mode kind of seasons. And um, so, yeah, I I think during that time uh, I was, I was blessed with kind of that protection of my view of God's bride and very individualized on, on my feelings towards these things. Um, So yeah, I'm thankful for that. And, but uh, if, I, I do, I do think I missed a few, several our opportunities in how I, how how I could have been a, a better husband in the time because I missed very much of how, how much she was hurting in the midst of it as that protector mode, and um, I think it came to fruition whenever when she told me at one point she's like I just I don't know that I've been able to really worship in a year. And some of that was having to do with some other elements, but, and then we were able to then connect to the church body that we go to now. And, and since then it's been, it's been great. But like, I think I, I I think I missed opportunities to intentionally sit with her and allow her to process through and, and not just me because, Oh, I, I got let go, but it's like, well, we, we got let go. And I think that took me too long to to see. Um, thank you guys for sharing your story. Yeah. Um, for those of you who are listening, you're missing a little bit of the joy of what we get to see right now. Um, not only are you beautiful people, but behind you is this whiteboard. <laughs> and yeah, it says, is write. it a, you yeah. did not do that? Uh, but well, it's, I, uh, I didn't it, write it. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's got some artistic talent, but it's all, it, it, it's uh there's a juxtaposition of very deep conversation going on here. And these words on the whiteboard that say, did Jesus wear undies? Um, can you unpack um, real quickly? Number one, what does that mean? Where are you at now and how can people get in touch and find both of you? Yeah. Yes. Um, so did Jesus wear undies? is the title of a book that I published this year, and it consists of 20 questions out of the list of, gosh, I think I have 60 now, that I collected over the years from my girls and, and a few other kind of neighbor kids and stuff. that were They were just asking about God and the Bible and, and different things. And 
when questions like this, did Jesus wear undies and some others kind of came up, I was like, man, I need to keep track of this. So I just started a list on my phone and told her, I was like, I'm going to write a book about this someday. And she's like, you should. And then the list grew so much. I'm like, I, I guess I should do that now, you know? And, and I wanted to take a question like this um, because I had so many years of experience of having deep theological conversations with teenagers, young adults and stuff. Well, you have a six-year-old ask you a question, did Jesus wear undies? It is a perfect opportunity to then point them to the humanity of Christ while him still being fully God, right? Um, So yeah, he did wear undies. Yes, he did wear the garments of the time. He did, you know, it probably didn't have cartoons on it like you do um, or, you know, (laughs) unicorns and stuff like our girls, (laughs) but, but yeah, he, he was fully man. And so you get to have these sweet, short conversations that are just building blocks of faith for them. And so I wanted to, the, the book is not a, it's not a children's book. It is a parent's guide to answering big Bible questions for little ears. And so I take questions like this from did Jesus wear undies to um, question that I got in the middle of traffic from the back of the van from a six-year-old, I believe at the time of, hey, dad, did did God die on the cross? It's like, okay, here's a Trinitarian discussion that I'm about to have in five o'clock traffic with three kids in the car. How do I do this in two minutes or less? And it's like, I can't explain the Trinity in two minutes or less to a six-year-old, but I can start and, and so I wanted to say, all right, parents, here's how you take that. Here's the parent terms. Here's the kid terms. Here's the two-minute drill, okay? You got the thick of it, the understanding. Here's how you break it down for them. Here's the scripture, why it's true. And here's how you revisit the truth, because these questions and answers are going to lead to more questions. And if you have older kids, they're probably going to go, okay, but what about this? And 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 we're going to link it back up and we're just going to dive deeper in these sections. So that that came out in January and um, you can find that on Amazon. I can I can shoot you the the link if you want that in notes or anything like that, but uh yeah, that was a, that was a fun project and she was a big time encourager for me and uh, the girls each of the girls have at least one question in there. Um, I believe my youngest one of, one of hers was um, what is a blessing? And so, and then uh, in regards to whole, yeah, when we would at the end of prayer say, in your holy, holy, holy name, why do you say holy? Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's a great question. And, th- and that's kind of how I would read. That's a great question, honey. Let's dive into that. So, so it yeah. Makes it makes me a- wonder what kind of questions Jesus would have gotten. Cause Mm. You know, like the scripture talks about him enjoying his time with children. I wonder, it makes me wonder what kind of questions they brought to him and what silly things he, how he would have responded and taken those questions and transformed them into something that they could understand and carry with them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we can get the book on Amazon. We can find you and Lindsay at where? Do you have a website link? Yeah. uh, RyanGentles.com. You can... You can buy the book from there. It'll take you to the link there. Um, you can you can send in some questions that your kids have. And um, what I'm doing uh, when the podcast goes live for that, I'm teaming it up with the podcast. Um, just the Jesus Wear Undies podcast. And 
we're diving into questions that aren't in the book that are on my list. And we're taking in questions from, from parents and such. Um, and, uh, just doing a little bit deeper dive about this length, uh, of what that looks like and want to really resource parents as best we can. Um, parents and grandparents who are, you know, trying to teach scripture and the truth to their kids. And, you know, it's not a systematic theology book of, these different ideas that, you know, it doesn't just say Trinity, this like, no, these are real life questions that you're probably going to get, or you have already heard them already in some form or fashion. Uh, so yeah, RyanGenerals.com connect with me on there for, uh, for the book, for questions, uh, coaching, uh, all, all different, uh, types of things in there. So. Good. Yeah. And then Lindsay, you're part of a practice. Yes, um, I'm a. I work at a team private practice, and it's called True North, um, and so it's True North TW for the Woodlands dot com. Yeah, got it. And we'll put all of that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Uh, well, Ryan and Lindsay, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for vulnerability, for honesty, for being committed to being growing people. Uh, Ryan, I'm looking forward to the sequel of the book. Did yeah. Jesus wear boxers or briefs? That's right. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> There's, there's a lot. Um, I might have some of these questions. I might just buy it for my own self personally. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure nobody went to seminary thinking one day I'm going to write a book called <laughs> yeah. Jesus Wear Undies, but it's pretty brilliant. good. It I is brilliant. It. It's yeah. great. It was cute. Uh, His grandmother like- actually bought it and read it. And she's yeah. like, right. I, ju- I didn't know you knew that much. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, I've learned some stuff. I'm like my 91 year old grandma who's read through the Bible how many times in her life, you know, said, Hey, I learned something from your book about Jesus wearing undies. So I was just going to say, it sounds like there is life after vocational ministry yeah, and, and it's good. And, yeah. And, and really the, the main thing that I, I didn't really share this on the front end, but the word that came to me when he said no to vocational was perspective. And, uh, he's like, I want you to gain perspective. And at the time I had no idea what that meant other than just church member versus church staff, but there's so many different things that he's teaching me and keeping track of just so I can process more of like, okay, perspective as far as like us serving together perspective, as far as us, you know, praying for pastors and all these different things that we can be a part of. And, and, uh, so that it's just the, the life after ministry is definitely real and a blessing if you just trust that God's going to use it. I think also like just the, the tr- it's okay to not be okay. I feel like mm-hmm. both of our career, when he was in full-time ministry and in counseling, like there is this, I guess, belief sometimes that like we have to have it all together in order to do our job well. Yeah. Um, and so I think that is kind of, it got so shaky because I'm like, I, I can't be feeling this right now. Like I, how do I go and meet with people? How do I like, how do we put on the pretty face? Cause he was in ministry, you know, like, yeah. and it's like, it's okay to not be okay. We don't want to stay there, but yeah. it's okay to acknowledge that, that we aren't okay. And I think that that has been such a huge relief going into seasons post ministry of like, mm-hmm we aren't okay right now. And like, we're allowed to say that to check in with each other. And, and I think there's healing and there's freedom, um, Mm -hmm. in 
being able to acknowledge that and then care for ourselves and allow others to care for us. Yeah. Well, thank you both for sharing. Um, yeah. Good to meet you. And uh, we'll be staying in touch, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Yes, yeah, so great yeah. to meet y'all. Yeah. Bye. Bless you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Life After Ministry podcast. Our mission is to help you navigate the complexities, the joys, and sometimes even the beautiful moments of life after ministry. Whether you're a ministry leader thinking about a transition or a stakeholder in the decision-making process, we hope these conversations bring you both clarity and comfort. And we believe that any transition can really be a gateway to transformation and that there's not just life after ministry, but there's also ministry after ministry. If you found value in today's episode, consider subscribing to this podcast and don't hesitate to share it with anyone that you think might benefit. The journey is sacred and we're committed to walking alongside you, providing resources, encouragement, and a community where stories are heard and valued. And until next time, keep leaning into these opportunities, these transitions, these transformations, and the challenges that come with life after ministry.